Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Morning, church. Uh, welcome to those of you who are joining us online today because of the cold, and to all three of you who braved the Siberian winter and uh, came to church this morning. We're glad you're here. Uh, my name's Luke. I get to serve as one of the ministers here. We're in the middle of a series right now through the Lord's Prayer, like Kyle mentioned, because we're just dreaming together. Like, what if 2024 was the year that we devoted ourselves to prayer, and this was the year we spent with God? And so we're going to do that in some unique ways over the course of the year together as a church, and one of those is coming up next Sunday on January the 21st. Sunday evening, we're going to be having a night of worship right here in this room from 6 to 7.30. It's going to be some worship, some art, some scripture reading, some prayer, just for us to celebrate what God has done and to anticipate what God wants to do this upcoming year in your life, in your family's life, in the life of our church, and what God is doing all around the world. So I hope you'll join us for that next week, uh, Sunday evening in this room, 6 to 7.30. Um, before we really jump into the sermon today, I just want to remind you that there is nothing, nothing, there's no tips, no tricks, no stories, no topics, there's nothing more important than the gospel. The good news of what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. The good news that you are saved, not by what you can do, but by what Jesus has already accomplished on your behalf. Through his life, through his teaching, through his death, through his resurrection, through his continuing reign as king of kings and lord of lords, and through his promised return to make all things new. There's nothing more important than that. That's our only hope this morning. Um, if you've been around church very long, you might be familiar with the story of how Jesus died. If you've read the account in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you'll remember that Jesus was crucified on a center cross, and there were these two insurrectionists, these robbers, these thieves, who were also crucified on either side of Jesus. And as you read the Gospel accounts, you'll remember that both of those thieves were like antagonistic toward him. They're, they're slandering him, joining in with the crowds and mocking Jesus during his moment of death. But then something amazing happens. There must have been something about the way that Jesus died because over the course of those few hours, one of those thieves changed. One of them ended up saying to the other one, no, 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 actually we, we are the ones who deserve this, but this man, this man on the middle cross, this Jesus, he's done nothing wrong. And, and you'll remember the interaction. Jesus turns to the thief and gives him these amazing words. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. It's an incredible promise. Uh, there's a great preacher named Alistair Begg who kind of imagines what the experience of that thief must have been like. I don't know what you want to do when you get to heaven. We've probably all got that list of things. But one of the things I want to do if I get the chance when I get to heaven is I want to go find that thief on the cross. And I want to just ask him, like, bro, what happened? Because one minute you're hanging on the cross and you two are cussing Jesus out. And the next minute you're, like, surrendering everything to him even in your moment of death. What happened? And then you got to tell me, like, what was it like after that? When you finally did die and you got to heaven, and, and we can imagine how that interaction might have went. I don't know exactly how it's all going to shape out, but we can imagine that the thief on the cross, he dies and he, he kind of goes to the pearly gates. And think about this guy. I mean, he's never been in a Bible study. He never went through rooted. He never got baptized, never been on a mission trip. He doesn't know a thing about church membership. He has definitely never tithed. And you can imagine he gets up to the pearly gates and then the angel looks at him and says, uh, hello, sir, what are, what are you doing here? And the, the thief says, well, I, I don't know. Angel says, well, what do you mean you don't know? 
The guy says, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> and, and, and the angel's like, oh, I, I, sorry, I can't, I can't open the gate just yet. I'm going to have to go find my supervisor. So he goes, and, a, and another angel comes and, and kind of takes over and says, uh, hello, sir. Sorry for the inconvenience. Thank you for your patience. Just a little bit of a formality before we open up these pearly gates. Could I ask you a few questions, sir? Um, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by grace through faith? And the thief thinks for a minute, he says, well, uh, n- never heard of it. <laughs> the angel says, well, okay, um, let's, let's talk about your doctrine of Scripture. And, and, and the robber, he, he just stares at him. And, and the angel's a little bit flustered at this point. He says, well, then, sir, I, I, I don't understand. On, on what basis are you here? And the dude thinks for a minute, and he says, well, the man on the middle cross said I could come. And that, church, is the gospel. That is the good news that on this day and on that day, that will be the only answer for you and for me. That the man on the middle cross said we could come. And my guess is that a lot of us in the room today probably give lip service to the power of the gospel and the power of the cross and what Jesus has accomplished for it. But most people, a lot of people at least, will will say, yeah, Jesus paid it all, but then they'll live like it's all up to us. And if you live and you work and you serve and you give and you pray like it's all up to you, then you'll end up in one of two places. You will either end up in abject despair or you will end up in despicable arrogance. But it's the power of the cross of Jesus Christ that obliterates both abject despair and despicable arrogance because the cross does away with that despair from thinking that you have failed too many times, that you're not good enough, that you're never gonna make the cut. The cross does away with all that. And the cross also does away with the despicable arrogance of thinking, you know, actually, yeah, I think I am pretty good, and I think I can figure this out, and I think I'm doing okay on my own. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of what he's accomplished for us through his death and his resurrection says, no, it's only because the sinless Savior died that my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just was satisfied to look on him and pardon me. We are here, and we will be there, only because the man on the middle cross said we could come. That's the good news this morning. So in light of that, how about we start the sermon? Sound okay? <laughs> Let's pray. Great God of heaven, holy, holy, holy are you. And so we thank you. Because, man, Lord, if... If, if we had to come before you today on our own merit, I wouldn't stand a chance. But I'm thankful today that we get to hear your very words, that we get to be spoken to by your spirit, that we get to participate in your presence because your son who died on the middle cross said we could. And so it's in his name that all God's people said... Amen, amen. We're in Matthew chapter six today. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're still in the middle of this series on the Lord's Prayer where Jesus is teaching us how to pray. Last week, before Jesus taught us how to pray, he taught us two ways not to pray. You might remember Jesus said, hey, number one, like stop bragging because God meets you in the secret place. Number two, stop babbling because God already knows what you need. That's how not to pray. But now today, Jesus is gonna teach us how to pray with these famous words. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter six, verses nine through 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. 
So teach us to pray, Jesus. Jesus is gonna teach us today three specific things about how to pray. Here's the first thing. How should we pray? Jesus says, number one, we pray to the Father. He says, we pray to the Father. That means that um, at a very base level, to whom we pray is far more important than when, what, why, or how we pray. To whom we pray is the most important thing because when you pray, you're not just speaking words into the ether. You're not just projecting your desires out into the cosmos. No, you are talking to a person. Jesus says you're talking to your Father, um, if you go to Israel to the Temple Mount, it, it's pretty amazing. It's still there. And these are the southern steps of the Temple Mount. These are the actual steps that most common people, that Jesus and his disciples, would have walked up to go to the Temple Mount. There would have been a gate right here. And, and these, these steps are, are, are quite incredible. Just as a little fun fact, these over here are what's called mikveh, these ritual baths. So in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the first Christian sermon, the Holy Spirit comes. The church is born. 3,000 were added to their number that day. Most likely the 3,000 were baptized right here. But it, it, on the... Southern steps here of the Temple Mount, there's something amazing because the Temple Mount is one of the architectural wonders of history. It's this incredible ancient structure, meticulous in its detail, massive in its scale. But the amazing thing about these steps is that they're not symmetrical. If you try to walk up these southern steps, it's not actually very easy because some of the steps are shallow, some are deep, some are, some are this way, some are that way. The measurements are all different. These, these steps are not symmetrical at all. And you look at the meticulous design of the Temple Mount and you think, what in the world were they doing? But the architects did that on purpose. If you're going to climb those steps, it's really hard to climb them in a hurry. Because they're not symmetrical, you have to slow down. And the Jews were saying, you are about to come into the temple of the living God, into the presence of the holy God of heaven. Slow down. Think about what you're about to do. And I don't know about you, but I need that because I am so guilty so often of just rushing into up those steps right into prayer without actually drawing my heart and my mind into awareness that I'm not just talking, that my Father in heaven is listening. Jesus says, to whom we pray is the most important thing. So let's, let's look at this about how Jesus says uh, who it is that we are praying to. Our text for the day is real simple. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is to whom we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's take that one word at a time. Jesus says our. Not the Father, not your Father, not my Father. He says our Father. And if he's our Father, then that does a couple things. Number one, that levels the playing field between you and I. And number two, it reminds us that prayer is a communal exercise. It is something that we are designed to do together. Not once in this prayer is there an individual ask. It doesn't say, give me my daily bread, lead me not into temptation. It's always communal. Give us our daily bread. That's part of the reason I want you to come to this worship night. We've got to pray together. Jesus says, our Father. In other words, you are praying not to an ogre or a genie or some kind of inanimate Star Wars forces with you kind of thing. Like he's, he's relational, he's a father. And I don't know what your father was like, but he's the only perfect father. He is the essence of everything that good fathers are supposed to do. Your father, he, he made us and he leads us and he provides for us, he teaches us, he disciplines us, he protects us, and most of all, he loves us. Jesus says, you are praying to our father in heaven. So if Father pulls God close, 
then in heaven reminds us that we are talking to the exalted God of the universe, that he is Yahweh. He's the almighty, unending Alpha and Omega, beginning and end creator God who spoke the cosmos into being and transcends right now space and time as he's reigning over all things as King of kings and Lord of lords on the throne of heaven. He's our father. Yes, he's intimate, but he's also our father in heaven. He's also transcendent. Our father in heaven, Jesus says, hallowed, that means like glorified, weighty, dignified, honored, hallowed be your name. Now that second phrase is a little bit trickier because it's not a phrase that we use very often in everyday life, right? Like when's the last time you said, wow, babe, hallowed be your outfit. Not something we do. Try that if you never want to get a second date, right? Um, Hallowed, hallowed. To be hallowed is to be holy, it's to be totally pure, it's to be separate, it's to be stainless, it's to be set apart. And this is what heaven cries. My goodness, if you go read your Bible, each and every time people encounter God, what are they overwhelmed by? They're overwhelmed by God's holiness. Hallowed be your name. God is holy. One of my favorite preachers said that the angels of heaven have been locked in a room with God for 10,000 years and they still haven't made it past the word holy. Heaven cries, holy, holy, holy. Day and night they never stop saying it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. In all that God is, God is holy. God is so holy that in Isaiah chapter six, the angels cover their eyes for fear of seeing his face. God is so holy that when you read your Old Testament and you see somebody touch the ark or open up the ark or bring unauthorized fire into the worship service, they are immediately struck dead by the holiness of God. Moses, the man who was called a friend of God. Even the friend of God only got to see God's back. The ancient Jews wouldn't even utter God's name out loud for fear of accidentally misusing his holiness. God and God's name are holy. But here's what's interesting. The Lord's Prayer is real simple. It's actually just six petitions right in a row. Six requests right in a row. And if if, if you think about it, we can count them off, right? Here's request number one, your kingdom come, your will be done, give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation. That's five requests. Actually, the first request is this one right here, hallowed be your name. It's not actually an affirmation. If you look in the grammar, it's not actually saying, God, your name is holy. It's a request. God, let your name be hallowed. God, let your name be treated as holy. Now, that might take some of your minds back to the Old Testament. Maybe you remember the Ten Commandments that God gave his people. This is back before the time of Jesus, Exodus chapter 20. And the third of the Ten Commandments was this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Like, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Maybe that's how you grew up hearing it. And, and, And that means so much more than just not saying, oh, my God. Although I hope if you take God seriously that you never let those words come out of your mouth. Like It is so much more than that, though. It's actually more of like a, hey, God, we are the people who carry your name, so let us honor your name. Let us hallow your name. Let us give your name the honor and the glory it deserves as we carry your name into the world. Let your name be hallowed by how we live. That's the same thing Jesus is praying for when he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your name receive the honor and the glory and the reputation it deserves by how we, the people who bear your name, live. So it just begs the question, like, is the way you're living bringing glory to God? Is the way you conduct your affairs on a day in and day out basis, is that bringing honor to his name? Here's the way I thought about it. Um, 
When I turned 13, my dad gave me this plaque. And on this plaque, it shows our family coat of arms, and he also gave me a sword to go with it. And when I was 13, let's be honest, like I thought the sword was pretty cool and I thought the plaque was pretty lame, right? Um, but today, this plaque hangs in my office and it's deeply meaningful to me because this was kind of like, you're turning 13, it's time to start becoming a man kind of thing. And, and so he, he gave us the Proctor family coat of arms and then he wrote me a letter down here below and the heading of the letter says, honor the name. He wanted to prepare me to carry his name out into the world. I won't read the whole thing, but this is a little bit of what my dad said to me on my 13th birthday. He said, Luke, as a teenager, your faith will face greater challenges. The enemy will seek to distract, discourage, and deceive you, so now is the time for you to begin your journey to Christian manhood. At the age of 13, in the medieval world, a boy moved from the rank of page to that of squire, officially becoming a knight in training. He learned the conduct of a gentleman warrior, and he went forth to battle with a coat of arms on his shield and sword in his hands. With this letter is our family coat of arms, our name. The gold shield associated with royalty is marked with three nails symbolizing Christ. The swallow drawn without feet called a martlet suggests constant flight and signifies someone diligent in his duties. Because red denotes courage, the proctor coat of arms sends this message. The bearer is a courageous servant of Christ the King. The motto, the motto to yours fidele, means always faithful. So Luke, in giving you this name, in giving you this sword and this coat of arms, I am calling you to grow into the name Proctor. In the years ahead, give yourself fully to becoming a courageous servant of Christ the King. Learn the conduct of a gentleman warrior. Stand strong against the enemy. Defend the weak. Serve those in need. Guard your character. Reject passivity. Embrace responsibility. Approach each day with joy and live for the greater reward. You are a knight in training for the kingdom of heaven. And I know God will make you into a mighty man. I love you. I'm proud to call you my son. Always be faithful to Christ and honor his name above all. Happy birthday, Dad. He's a good dad, right? Here's the point. Yeah, clap for him. I didn't do anything. <laughs> uh, this is the charge Jesus is giving us. When we pray this prayer, hallowed be your name, he's saying, you are carrying my name into the world, the name of your father. Honor it. We pray, Jesus says, thing number one, to the Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Here's the second way that we pray. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son. Um, maybe if you've grown up in church, you remember like kind of the standard way that we were taught to close our prayers by saying, in Jesus' name, amen, right? And, and that's a clear teaching of scripture that we pray in Jesus' name. Jesus himself says it over and over, John chapter 14. Jesus says, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Later on, John chapter 15, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Later on in chapter 15, he says, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. The next chapter, John 16, he says, very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. All four of those verses we just read, those are things Jesus said on the last night of his life to his friends. If Jesus talked that much about something right before he died, don't you think it's pretty important? So what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? It's not like it's just magic words like open sesame, God give me a Ferrari or something like that, right? Praying in Jesus' name means a little bit more than that. Um, when we pray in Jesus' name, Jesus is letting us in on his relationship with the Father, okay? For Jesus to pray, 
our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, was a radical thing. The disciples never would have imagined something like that. Some of you will remember like back in the 80s and 90s, there was something that went on in the world of like scholarship and academia called the Jesus Seminar, where a bunch of these rather skeptical scholars got together and their goal was we're gonna figure out what Jesus actually said, what Jesus actually did, what the Bible really says and what did or didn't happen with the goal of discovering the historical Jesus. And it was like not shocking to anybody that they combed through all the accounts of the life of Jesus and they said actually the vast majority of what the Bible says that Jesus said and did in the Gospels, nah, no way, didn't actually happen. And they turned, like, so they would go through the teachings of Jesus that were printed in red, and they turned most of those words black. Nah, Jesus didn't actually say that. The church, like, made that up later on to kind of validate their beliefs. But when they came to the Lord's Prayer, they turned the whole prayer black. They said, nah, the church made that up. Jesus didn't actually pray that, but they left one word in red. One word that was so radical, they know it couldn't have been made up because, because of, by, by, by any human. And the one word that the Jesus Seminar left in red was the word Father. Because even skeptical scholars knew that nobody had ever talked about God like that before. God is called Father 176 times in the Bible. He's only called Father three times in the Old Testament. And in each of those times, it's in the sense of like father of the nation, like we would refer to George Washington or like Henry Ford as the father of the Model T, right? But, he, but he's not your father. He's not your daddy. But Jesus says in this prayer, no, 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 no. He's, he's not just the far off father of the nation. He's our father. And so when we pray in Jesus's name, that means that Jesus is letting us in on the relational equity he has as a member of the Trinity. That's a little heady. Let's stop right there. Pause with me. Listen, I know it's the morning, it's cold outside, and it's warm in here, but give me 60 seconds to nerd out, and I want you to go with me. We're gonna talk about the Trinity. We just sang two songs about the Trinity. It's important that we understand exactly what that means. We worship one God, but within that one God, there are three persons. That's called the Trinity. It's not a word that shows up in the Bible. It's a theological term that, we've, that Christians have created to talk about there being one God and three persons. The three persons are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there are countless analogies that try to capture that and describe what's going on in the Trinity. And every single one of them falls short, but let's try one just for fun, okay? I want you to think about Transformers. Not like the electrical gear, but Transformers the toy. You guys remember that if you had a little boy? Or if you grew up, like you read the comics, saw the movies, right? I want you to think about Transformers. If you know anything about Transformers, you remember that Optimus Prime is the leader of the good guys, right? He's the leader of the Autobots. And Optimus Prime is a semi-truck who can then transform into a fighting robot, okay? Now, that means that Optimus Prime is one who and two whats. One who and two what's. So who is he? He's Optimus Prime. What is he? He's a semi-truck and a fighting robot. One who, two what's. You with me? Okay, here we go. Um, what about you and I? I am one who and one what. Who am I? I'm Luke. What am I? I'm a man, okay? So what is God then? God is three who's and one what. Three who's. One what? What is he? He's God. Who is he? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One what? 
Three who's, that's the Trinity for all of eternity. They have existed, Father, Son, and Spirit, each one serving each other, glorifying each other, relating to each other, delighting in each other. All of them are co-equal, co-eternal. None of them is greater than the other. That means for all of eternity, here's the implication for you. For all of eternity, Jesus is the only one who gets to be God's child. He's the only one. But the amazing thing is that when you follow Jesus, he lets you in on that. John chapter one, verse 12 says, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus is letting you in on his status as a member of the Trinity. Being a child of God is not your right. You have not earned it. You were not born with it. Not all God's people are God's children. Scripture says we are aliens, we are strangers, we are enemies of God because of our sin. But when we follow Jesus and when we pray in the name of Jesus, he shares with us his status and we get adopted into his family, which means that when you go to your father in prayer, you get to point with Jesus and you get to say, I'm with him. The man on the middle cross said I could come. That's the only reason I'm here. We pray in Jesus' name. Um, think of it like this. Uh, our boys love the Pacers. Our three little boys are like little sports nut. They love to like track with the games and all that. Who's in, who's out, who had a good game, who didn't. And so several times this season, we like to go buy nosebleed tickets and our family will go down and we'll go watch the Pacers play. And, and we were at a game a few weeks ago. We'd been at one earlier before with some of their friends where they saw some of the stuff that the other boys had. And so my boys started to save up. And for weeks and weeks and weeks, they saved their money. They saved every little coin they could find. They got it from under the couch and in the van and who knows wherever. And, and they put, it, put all their money in their piggy bank and they saved up because Judah and Calvin, my two oldest, they were saving for the Holy Grail. They were saving to purchase that item that they knew would bring them ultimate and eternal satisfaction. They wanted foam fingers. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, this was it. Like this is, this is it, right? So a few weeks ago, we go back to another game and they're there and they, they have been waiting for this moment where they're gonna go to the team store and they're gonna get to purchase their foam fingers. There's only one problem with their plan. The problem with their plan is that Gainbridge Fieldhouse is a cashless facility. I know, right? Yeah, so I had to sit them down beforehand and be like, hey, boys, listen, this is what's going to happen. Because you can imagine this scenario. If they go to the team store and they pick out their little foam fingers and they take them to the counter and they, they start talking to the man and they, they crack open their piggy bank and they pour it out and you got a few quarters, got a few dimes, got a few nickels, here's two Chuck E. Cheese tokens and a Monopoly dollar. Like, what will that get me? <laughs> That currency won't get them anything at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Doesn't matter how hard they worked. And so what had to happen? I had to step in front of them and I had to pull out my card and say, here, sir, take this instead. It's got my name on it. It's got enough to cover everything they need. Do I even need to preach that or can you get there on your own? <laughs> man, 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 can you imagine? Can you imagine you coming in prayer to the gates of heaven? and cracking open your piggy bank. <laughs> well, I got 20 years of faithful church attendance. Tried real hard to be a good neighbor, nice guy, didn't kill anybody. A few good deeds, a little bit of money I gave away, some volunteer community service hours, a few Bible facts I memorized. Sorry, that currency isn't gonna get you anything. But you got something better. Because Jesus comes up beside you when you pray in his name and he pulls out his card with his credit limit and his wallet and he says, here, try this instead. Get what you want in my name. 
we pray to the Father in the name of the Son. What an incredible privilege. And here's the third thing. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son through the help of the Spirit, through the help of the Holy Spirit. That's the third thing. Uh, Scripture says the Holy Spirit is the one who pours the love of God into our hearts. He's the one who prays for us when we don't know what to pray for ourselves. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to bring God close and experience union with Jesus and the intimate relationship with God the Father that we were made for. Paul describes it like this in Romans chapter 8. He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit's the one who enables you to call God your Father. He says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. What that means is that one of the Holy Spirit's primary jobs as he lives inside of you when you follow Jesus is just to remind you and to convince you that you are a child of God when you start to doubt it and to give birth to that Abba cry that was designed to flow out of your spirit. So that's what, we're, that's what we're learning. Jesus teaches us to pray. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son with the help of the Holy Spirit. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So what, right? So what does this all mean? It means this week, when you pray, pray like a child. If God's your Father, then pray like a child. And think about a kid. What's that mean? It means kids are a mess, right? <laughs> Man, every afternoon when I come home from work, like I try to wear reasonably nice clothes to church. Some of you don't think so, but like I try to wear reasonably nice clothes, you know? And I come home and I'm in my good clothes and like I open the door and they just come flying at me and they're all snot-nosed and muddy, like probably bloody from something, who knows what. And you know what? I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. And when you come to your father, listen, he knows you're a mess. He knows me. He knows that every time I come to him, I am a tangled mess of good and bad. I'm some twisted concoction of pure motives and impure motives. You and I, we are loving and we're bitter and we're merciful and we're jealous and we're generous and we're kind and we're hateful and we're mean. And all the religions of the world will tell you that the more righteous you are, the more likely God is to hear and to answer your prayers. But that is not the gospel. The good news is that God's character matters a whole lot more than yours because you may or may not be good, but your father is always good and he's always kind and he's always listening and he's always generous and he's always wise and you can come to him even when you're a mess because the man on the middle cross said you could come. Pray like a kid even when you're a mess. Here's the second thing. It means praying like a kid means that you just ask for what you want when you want it. You don't have to have the exact right words at the exact perfect time. Think about a kid. Like kids love to just interrupt you and ask for what they want. They do not care what you are doing, right? Doesn't matter how important your thing is. They're gonna barge in the room. Hey, mommy, can I get the new Barbie in that new dress? I really need some chocolate ice cream right now too. Can I go to Susie's house, right? And you as a parent, you love to say yes to your kids, don't you? And you grandparents really love to say yes and make messes for the rest of us. <laughs> And in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says, if you love to say yes and you're evil, how much more does your good Father in heaven love to say yes to you? Come to him when you're a mess. Come to him with what you want, exactly when you want it, even if you don't have the perfect words. And also praying like a child just means you have access. You have access to be with your Father. I love this picture. 
In case you can't see it, this is President John F. Kennedy, and here's JFK Jr. playing in the bottom of the Resolute desk. Can you imagine the hoops that a normal person would have to go through to get a meeting with the President of the United States? And then if you manage to wait for such a long time and go through the red tape and finally enter into the Oval Office with your suit on and your tie straight, you'd have to sit there on the couch all prim and proper and handle your business and then you gotta go. But not that kid. He gets to go to the President of the United States whenever he wants because that's his daddy. And you get to pray to the Father anytime, anyway, anyplace because he's your father even if you're a mess. So, so here, e- each week in this series, we wanna give you just a real practical habit to put in place, a practice for you to implement in your prayer life. Last week, we talked about praying scripture, but if we're saying this week, hey, listen, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, that means you get to pray like a child, then the habit we want you to put in place this week is to practice the presence of God. Practice the presence of God. Um, a lot of the time when we talk about having a prayer life, you think about having this time early in the morning before the sun has risen because that's when the holy people get up and you sit down and you're quiet and you have your Bible open and your coffee and you pray and it's always this intimate, sweet communion with the Lord. And anytime you miss a day, you end up feeling like a terrible Christian. Okay, Doing those things is great and good. But instead of just talking about having a prayer life, what if we talked more about having a praying life? Like how you do all the things that you normally do, you just do it in awareness of God's presence with you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, pray continually. In the ESV, it says, pray without ceasing. If that's a command, to pray continually, to have your heart continually engaged with the presence of your Father, then we might have to tweak our definition of prayer a little bit, because that's going to be a really hard command to follow if prayer is only head bowed, arms folded, eyes closed, Right? That means that prayer is gonna have to become a lot more like how I communicate to Rebecca throughout the day, how Rebecca and I interact in our relationship. Because in our relationship, like we do have some set devoted times where we are devoted just to conversing with one another. We'll go on a date night or at the end of the day after the kid's in bed, we'll, we'll have some time just to talk. It's good to have that time with the Lord and it's good for us to have that in our marriage. But that's not the only time we communicate. Man, if you scroll through my phone, we've got a text conversation that's going all day long. No matter what she's doing, no matter what I'm doing, there's never a formal greeting and there's never a formal goodbye. It's the ongoing conversation that just rolls over from day to day. Hey, how's it going? Hey, did you talk to that person? Hey, hey, uh, did you hear about that? Hey, look at what the kids just did. Hey, could you help me with something? Hey, I love you. Hey, you look great today. She tells me all the time. Practicing the presence of God just means, hey, keep the text thread going in your head with Jesus this week, all right? Let him in on your tasks. Let him in on your conversations. Let him in on your thoughts like, God, this job is hard. God, that food was good. God, she made me mad. God, my head hurts. God, help me find my keys. God, does my boss think I'm doing a good job? God, I'm 10 pounds heavier than I want to be. God, help me in this conversation I'm about to go into. God, I'm really tired and I can't sleep. Thomas Kelly says, there's a way of ordering our mental life on more than one level at once. On one level, up here, we may be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting all the demands of external affairs. But deep within, behind the scenes, at a profounder level, we may also be in prayer and adoration, song and worship, and a gentle receptiveness to divine breathings. Practice the presence of God, because your Father wants to be with you this week. I don't know what you need to do, but 
Remind yourself that God is with you this week. Practice the presence of God. If you need to put a reminder on your phone, set an alarm, schedule a few times in your calendar throughout the day to just sit in silence for five minutes. Bring an empty chair into the room to remind you that God is with you. Put a physical reminder up. Carry a rock in your pocket. Get a three-by-five card with a Bible verse on it. Whatever you need to do, practice the presence of God. Do life with your Father. And here it is, in case you didn't hear it, whether you're good at this week or whether you stink at it this week, it's all about Jesus. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You get to pray that to the Father in the name of the Son through the help of the Holy Spirit. You get to do life in the presence of God himself because the man on the middle cross said you could. Let's pray. And so, Father, and we're so thankful we get to call you that and that you call us your children And so I know how easily distractible I am and, and how worried we can be and how and just prone to wander, Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God we love. So would you just pull our hearts close to you this week, continually draw our minds into awareness of who you are. Just, we don't have to ask for you to be with us. You're with us all the time. Just help us to be with you. We wanna be aware of you. We wanna do life with you. We're so thankful that we get to call you Father because of the death and the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and worship our Father together. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.